Wall Street, Haiti, and morning math class. Today on The Pursuit, April Tam Smith. Welcome to The Pursuit. I'm your host, Richard Lee, and here we are with episode five. I'm so excited for you to hear the story of my guest today, April Tam Smith. April is the owner of P.S. Kitchen, a vegan restaurant in the heart of Times Square in New York City. But what makes this place so special is not the food they serve, but the people they serve. Because the P.S. is P.S. they donate all their profits to charities that serve the vulnerable, and P.S. they intentionally hire those with barriers to employment to create jobs for the most vulnerable. And April does this all after she gets home from her job on Wall Street. We sat down in her restaurant in a secluded corner, but they got so busy, they had to add customers to the tables around us. So you're gonna hear background conversations, forks clinking on plates, but all that captures the spirit of P.S. Kitchen. Before we get to the yeah. restaurant that you own, yes. um, you actually still have a day job. Very much so, yes. Yeah, so tell us a little <laughs> bit about what you do. Absolutely. So yeah, I have spent the last so over 13 years on the trading floor in an investment bank. Um, I do equity derivatives. And so did you know your whole life that that's what you wanted to do? Oh, not at all. <laughs> You know, sometimes I laugh. I think there is a lot of pressure of like finding the right job right now. You know, that one thing you're passionate about. And even in the sense of marriage, I don't know if you've ever read, you know, um, Meaning of Marriage by Tim Keller. And I love that he has this one incredible chapter about how you never meet the right person, quote unquote. And it's just this idea of like, even if you marry the quote unquote right person, they change, you change. And it's just really about that commitment. Um, Not that I'm saying you need to be committed to one job, you know, your whole life. But I did find that like my job on day one is so different from my job, you know, four years in, six years in and and now and I've just been grateful of growing with my company and and growing with my job and seeing that um this is how God has used me on the trading floor one thing that I've really gotten to appreciate is the idea of using this trading floor using my network using colleagues and really friends you know now that I've gone to work together on Wall Street also as my platform for a lot of justice stuff that I feel passionate about you would be amazed of the incredible hearts that are on mm. on wall street and in yeah. my industry and in a lot of industry as long as you're willing to be open and share with people what you deeply care about and often people get drawn into that passion with you um i've brought colleagues many many colleagues alum of my work uh, clients to whether it be volunteering and helping somebody who was previously incarcerated go through their resume and go through their business wow. pitch yeah. to going to Haiti with me. Yeah. Just the opportunity is endless if you're willing to put yourself out there. And so what do they say when they go on those trips or when they help you out in that way? What sort of response do they have? It's incredible. It's incredible for both sides, for both of us and for the people on the ground. 
I've just had a lot of opportunities to share、um, how I see the world, and if that, that's helpful or encouraging to them,、um, letting young people see like you don't necessarily have to only care about profit just because you work in finance, and how you can use this platform、um, to yeah use your power to create power for more people.、Um, it's one way to look at、yeah. it, and. Yeah, just on my recent trip in August, I have a few analysts in my firm come with me, associates. And where did you go on the trip?、Uh, back to Haiti, okay, of course. And、um, we just got to talk about like, what is money? What is money for? You know, it's such a powerful tool, and but it can also be seen as something like fire. It could be very destructive, but it can also be so useful. So, what is it like to navigate the trading floor of an investment firm as a Christian, as an Asian, and as a woman? <laughs> Sometimes I laugh. Like earlier in my career,、um, you know, we talk about, of course, like gender equality and also different race equality, and、sure. and sometimes I laugh. Like a lot of the values I was brought up and what's deemed to be good, it's sometimes the exact opposite of what people would think it's important on the trading floor, right? right. Like, you know, my my mom is always like, being quiet is good. <laughs> Um, for sure, being humble is one of the biggest virtues of being you know, a good Asian child and a Christian child. And then I have my boss telling me like, "You gotta be more aggressive. You gotta tell me when you've done something. You gotta keep me up. Like, you've got to let people know when you, you know, did a big trade."、Um, it's like a different universe. It's just so interesting, and I, I'm really grateful. I am very fortunate in the firm that I am. You know, one of the years where we've yet again had a similar conversation like this. Understandably. They, you know, they want me to do well, and this is what historically has done well on the floor. And I just say, well, I think if we're looking at diversity, it's it's a lot about diversity in personalities as well. And as I'm having this conversation with my boss, it also really clicked for me that I don't have to see it as like, hey, like I can still be successful despite the fact that maybe I'm not as aggressive, maybe despite the fact that yeah, I'm very optimistic, I laugh more, etc. I might be. Seen bubbly, it's okay. In fact, it might be more than okay. In、mm. fact, it is something that I'm bringing to the table. It's a different way of looking at the world. Yeah. And and I think people have been encouraging and seeing that it's a value that they appreciate and it's a diversity they appreciate. Yeah. It's almost like changing their paradigm what success looks like. Yeah, especially for younger people, younger women on the trading floor.、Um, I've been fortunate of having some very good relationship with some of them. We do dinner. Once a month, and just kind of like wanting to have a open dialogue of conversation and what work looks like for young women on on the street, and yeah, having maybe not the typical what a managing director on an equity trading floor should look like. Yeah. So take us down the path of getting from Wall Street to where we are now,、yeah. PS Kitchen. Um, it might be a little bit of a long path.、Um, so eight years ago, I got a chance to go on my first mission trip to South Africa. Served in an orphanage、uh, for HIV-positive children, and it was just absolutely incredible. You know, I think being an immigrant kid myself, having moved to the states when I was 11, and you know, knowing a lot of the stories that my mom would tell me, like when she was 11, she was already working in a clothing factory, making clothes and sending money back to China for her older sisters. And for her dad, and for me, you know, when I was 11, I got to move to the States. You know, that's like every、yeah. immigrant's like American dream.、Um, you know, getting to go to MIT and then、um, Columbia, and just 
really fortunate. But I think that was a trip that really allowed me to see being fortunate and being grateful is not enough. Turning my gratitude into action, it's it's been one of the most rewarding things that's ever happened to me and also just what really keeps me going day to day while working in finance. Um, so back to that trip eight years ago, um, and one of the last days there, a group of 12, 14-year-old girls get together, wrote a little uh, letter for me from their committee. And it was just them asking me, Auntie April, I had so much fun with you. Thank you so much for all the things you've done. Is there any chance you can actually help us to help our friends? Uh. And what was really touching is they had all these desires and, and items on their wish list for friends at their school. And they wow. started telling me, you know, I'm really lucky to be here at this orphanage, but my friend at school, her little brother doesn't have food. Their roof was torn by a recent storm. Their parents, one of the mothers we visited was recently poisoned by a colleague out of jealousy. And I'm like, okay, off we go. And we went to the grocery store. You know, I was like in my mid-20s and I spent, you know, whatever it is that I could at the time. And we just bought a lot, a lot of groceries, uh, probably over a month's worth and just went from like door to door, or I should say hut to hut to hut and yeah. visited um, their friends. And having experienced that was really what turned me on on like, I think we're all made to help others. We're made to serve the world. And the feeling that I got from doing this and the joy I got for buying, quote unquote, something like groceries for others. Make me not, everyone, like what else can I buy? You know, that right. could give me that same kind of joy. So went back to next year, started going to Haiti the year after, went back and back and back. And, and as you know, Richard, I've gone on my uh, 14 trips last few months ago. And, and yeah, that just became a really big part of my life of day job earning and night job, quote unquote, spending but spending for justice and spending, um, yeah, to the best of my ability, finding those high impact organizations out there. Yeah. A lot of them very grassroots and just seeing like how I can help, not just sending money, not just volunteering, not just telling people about who you are, but like all of the above and really like doing life with you. So why a restaurant? Great question. <laughs> Seems like a kind of disconnection. Okay, you went yeah, to right. all these How did you get to a countries. restaurant from there? Um, so I would go to Haiti, come back, write an email, colleagues, friends, you know, everyone in my world. Um, and I was really shy about it. I remember the first time I had to do this, it felt so uncomfortable. Like no one likes to ask for money, even if it's not on your own behalf, you know? Sure. And um, I ran this email, one of my colleagues was so funny. He's like, goodness, you've been staring at that for two days. Can you just go to the bathroom so I can stand in while you're not looking? You wouldn't send the email. Yes, I would like have it up and have written the ask put in all the pictures but I just couldn't get myself to send it right. and I think um, and it's just a lot intertwining there you know us talking about being Asian being a girl and also yeah, being Christian sure. I'm like not knowing not letting your right hand know what your left hand is doing right. I have this email up about like the mission ship I just took you know and wanting yeah. people to help but then it really hit me like if I don't ask on their behalf and I just spend two weeks there like who is going to and am I really gonna let my own self consciousness and not willing to be vulnerable dominate the fact that I have the privilege to ask these 525 people sitting on this trading floor 
that I've sp spent my entire career with, you know, and and the the responses were so encouraging. Mm. I got so many incredible warm responses, some of which was what led to the following trips to Haiti with me yeah. because people said like, can I come? Can I serve? Wow. Can I bring my daughter? Can I bring my dad? I speak French. This wow. might be helpful. Anyway, so um, one of the many emails I sent out, I think it might be to build a well, which we then actually next trip started using. Yeah, one of my friends who's now my business partner said, hey, how much did you raise from all this effort? And I told him and he was like, I bet we can do better. What if we started a nonprofit or a business that gave away 100% of its profit so in a way, instead of writing a big check every year to fund these organizations I'm passionate about, that I clearly commit to funding the rest of my life. We just start a business that would fund them over and over every year. So we write one big, big check, take a leap of faith. It was very scary signing a 15-year lease at the age of 30 wow. in Times Square. But just taking that leap of faith and then having the dividends and the profits would go and continue to fund these organizations. Um, and it's also above just the profits part because if we just won the max profit, I could have done a lot of different things and maybe, you right. know, do what I do for a living, right? But the job creation piece is really important mm. to me. Um, I think that, you know, we all probably agree, you know, you can tell from the Bible that we're all created to work. And there's been a lot of studies of the dignity and encouragement that someone gets from that hand up as opposed to hand out. When you give someone a job to work for themselves, to provide for their family. So we thought, what business can we start that would allow that second PS, which is the name of the restaurant. So PS would give away all the profits. PS would give people a second chance so that they can provide for their own families and using the effort and having that dignity to earn their own income and having a meaningful job. So specifically, you're hiring people that wouldn't necessarily be qualified for jobs in restaurants in New York City. Exactly. That's that's exactly the goal. Wow. So uh, about a third of our staff, um, actually over 30 jobs we've created since we opened are for those that are previously incarcerated, those have been struggling with homelessness or um, victims of domestic violence, um, substance abuse, just a wide range of um, brothers and sisters who, who do want that second chance uh, that we just want to open arms and say like, come on in, you know, you could be here if you check that box that scares a lot of people, which mm. is I have convicted a felony, we welcome you, yeah, you know, wow. and, and that's in the Bible. Um, one of our staff is an incredible story. Um, his name is Raul. He's 60 years old. He was in and out of prison for 30 years. Such a great guy. Really, really warm. And he started looking for work. I think he said like four to five years ago. And he couldn't find anything. And just through Graffiti Church and Hope for New York, somehow he heard about PS Kitchen. And he said he was really skeptical. He's like, yeah, sure. If I come in, they heard my story. They're going to say, oh, We'll keep, you know, we because like he's heard you. it all before exactly, for four or five years. Exactly. He had so many stories like that. Like, oh, yeah, you're just not the exact right person, but we like you. Right. Because they can't exactly say that's why. Mm. And um, yeah, when we said, hey, can you start at 6 p.m. tomorrow? And just as a dishwasher. And he said he came to the corner of 48th and 8th. And he just started literally sobbing like a baby. And he said, I can't believe you would give me, wow. me a chance. Someone wants to give me a job. And since then, we just have had such an incredible relationship. Um, 
actually a few weeks ago he got a pretty bad health scare okay he had a stroke he was here in the restaurant oh, wow. and he didn't want to tell anyone he was scared of losing his job even though he was losing his like speech he was slurring his words so he had a stroke in the restaurant and he wouldn't and the, the thing that he was worried about was worrying about losing yes. this job yes wow and thankfully our GM somehow heard about it through another colleague who started getting really worried about him. Yeah. We're like, no, 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 you're going to the hospital. And because of that, the speediness, he's totally fine now. Wow. You know, we paid him while he was in a coma throughout his time in the hospital. And it's such a simple act of literally, it's not even like the generous thing. It's just the right. simple right thing to do. Right. And he said, April, like, I don't care what, who pays me how much, I'm never leaving here. And the moment he got out of the hospital, he called us. It was so sweet. Jeff and I happened to be in Haiti, my general manager. I brought him to Haiti to see what we're doing. And Jeff just came in with a big smile at breakfast table. I was like, bro, it's out. He's okay. And he asked if he still has a job. <laughs> we're like, yeah, tell him. He needs to stop worrying about this. But that's, but that's interesting because... For many of us, a job is is something that we choose. And it seems like for people that, some of the people that you're employing, that this is the only choice. And before this, there were no choices. Yeah, this is the opportunity. And and I really love to be that first place that can take that leap of faith. Um, they can take that chance of, I'm ready to go back to the real world. And I love like hearing someone like Aru and another staff like Juan and Alexa that we had. They talk a lot about the dignity that they have. And that is a gift yeah. that is priceless, you know? I actually am curious about this because I'm sure the risk involved of hiring those people that are transitioning mm. from prison or from drugs, yeah. homelessness, and I don't want to be insensitive, but how has that experience been for you as a restaurant owner crossing over that risk and saying, I'm going to step into that and give people dignity and give people an opportunity? So what has been your experience with that? Yeah, thank you so much for asking. Like, I, I would love for more people to try, to try it, to be open to it, you know? Um, firstly, man, we are called to not a life of safety. Mm. And loving people always involves taking a risk. You know, we're always going to get hurt, whether it be financially, relationally with our heart. And it's funny, that's just like, um, I do get that question a lot and it's totally a good and fair question, but considering even opening this restaurant and signing that lease and, you know, clearing out a lot, a lot of our savings and trying to start a business. That already is such a big risk. And I don't know how it will work out. Uh, thankfully, 15 months so far has been good and we survived our first year, which is the hardest. Because most restaurants don't even last a year. Yeah, that year is the key, exactly. Especially in New York City. In especially in Times Square. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It just went a little crazy. Just go right for it. <laughs> but I guess... You know, in my mind, I think when I die mm. um, and I go home and I meet my maker, I just think that and I hope to think that he's going to say, I'm proud of you, good and faithful servant. And even if you lost like all your savings trying to start this thing, like I know you tried and I know you did it out of love. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to hang on to. But yeah, so practically speaking, for sure, it it's. It's hard. Um, my staff has been incredible of being so loving, so welcoming and patient. And um, at the same time, 
I think the people that we've been able to serve in this way by offering work have been our best, best worker. You know, wow. like me telling you the short story of Raul. How often do you get that? Right. You know, I don't want him to think this way because I want him to say I need to go to the hospital. But that was just such an incredible, you know, story of saying like, this is the kind of work ethics we're talking about. You know, when you've really, really hit the lows,、mm. um, there is such an incredible grittiness that comes from that. And when you decide to change your life, these are some of the most incredibly, incredibly kind and hardworking human being I've ever been around. You had mentioned this idea of giving away the profits、mm-hmm. to the restaurant to charitable organizations.、Yeah. Have you thought about this idea that you're investing your money? In a venture that essentially makes no money. Yes, that's the point. <laughs> You're smart. <laughs> that, and imagine your day job tells you that that's a、that's、bad、crazy. investment. So tell、yes. tell me about that. How have you reconciled that? I just think it's just all about how you measure ROI. You know, like my ROI during the day for sure. But I also love our ROI. You know, at night at PS Kitchen in my in my weekend job.、Um, so our ROI is measured by yeah the amount of profits we can give away.、Um, it's measured by the amount of jobs we can create for those who need that second chance that we can serve in this way and love in this way. And it's also measured by the impact for the environment. You know, we are a fully plant-based menu, and we truly believe that you know this way in eating, even if you're not eating that way the rest of the week, help the environment significantly. And we're pretty much just trying to squeeze the max ROI for the world into one tiny restaurant, right? And see how many angles we can go at it. So your decision to be vegan for you was a justice issue. It's so many layers. Hey, let's talk about our eyes. One of the best ROI decision that I could make. Several interesting stats. I recently read a book called Drawdown, and it it's done by you know 200 research analysts all over the world. Really, really knowledgeable. It's done a lot of work into this topic that talked about some of the highest impact thing one can do for climate change. And the first one was like wind turbine. Second one was refrigeration, and these are really important things. But those you can only help with that so much on a daily basis. And third and fourth is plant-based eating and food waste.、Hmm. You know, one of the things that really struck me、uh, recently, I heard in an environmental talk, is that those who have contributed the least are suffering the most from the consequences.、Hmm. And that, to me, totally a justice issue that we all need to care about. It's not a you know political issue. It's a human issue. If we live on this planet, we need to care about it. You know, it's fun to see people try it out, and even if you eat not this way. And the rest of the week, being more open to it,、um, every little bit help. I will say, I I had a, a PS <laughs> burger, and it wasn't meat, <laughs>、yes. but it tasted delicious. And we've had people not know that it wasn't meat. It was really funny to me. And then later on, when I told them, they were like, "Wait, no, I I don't believe you." Our vegetarians who've come took a bite and threw it out because they thought it was meat. No, really? <laughs> yeah, one of my friends. She didn't trust it, it tasting. Was- It was the first day, and so she wasn't sure. She's like, "I heard this place was vegetarian." Okay, I wanted to pause here and let you know about something that I just heard about. If you're a second-generation Korean American seminary student, there's a church out in California called Torrance First Presbyterian Church, and they're offering you a scholarship to help pay for your school. You could be a Bible college student, seminary student, PhD, whatever it is. 
The scholarship's for $3,000, and all you have to do is fill out an application. If this is you or someone you know, I'll put the contact info in the show notes. So make sure you check them out and reach out to them. And just let them know that you heard it from The Pursuit. Now back to part two of my conversation with April Tam Smith. How has the idea of your restaurant been received on the trading floor? What do your Wall Street co-workers think of this idea? Oh yeah, no, it's been, it's been so fun. You know, people might have a certain assumption or stereotype of you on the trading floor, but similar to the point I just made of, I really believe most people have a good heart and when they are knowledgeable, when they're aware, um, they want to do something about it, you know? Imagine, you know, it's nothing like incredible about me or that I quote unquote have a big heart or anything. I think I've just been exposed more and I've put myself in those situations that I've seen it with my own eyes. And once you've seen it, once you know, like you have to do something about it, actually you want to do something about it. Mm. And that's been the big turning point for me. It's not like, oh, I have to give back. It's like, hey, I, I get to give back. Like I get to help, I get to serve, I get to do life with you. My brothers and sisters in Haiti, um, my brothers and sisters in South Africa or wherever, or my brothers and sisters in New York, right? The staff here. Are your coworkers, are they inspired by you or do they think you're crazy? <laughs> Definitely both, I've gotten <laughs> both. Like, uh, And that's okay. And um, right. it was really fun. Like our first night of opening, I had my, um, my mom in Haiti, quote unquote, um, Cynthia Patterson, who is the founder of Share Hope. Um, she does incredible work, incredible work in, in the garment sector in Haiti. Uh, she came and spoke, and then I had my mentee, Sharon Richardson, also came and spoke, and she spent 20 years in prison. And wow. since coming out, she's just done incredible work for women coming home from prison. Sure. And having the two of them share their stories. I've been working there for like, I don't know, at that point, like 12 years. And I would go to the bathroom and have women I've been working with for years come up to me and just hugged me. (laughs) And just stopped me and said, April, that was incredible. And um, it's, it's a privilege that I guess being a Christian and being in the justice world, being passionate about, you know, justice. I've heard these stories over and over and I still get excited, but I forget how most people don't hear these stories on a daily basis. So it was just a privilege of like exposing them and getting them so excited. Um, You know, one analogy is, you know, if we're all sitting around at a big dinner table and I get for no particular reason other than complete randomness, a huge giant plate of food Mm -hmm. and you get like, one little artichoke (laughs) of course i'm gonna share right and i know it's not me it's just the chef happened to have put more food on my plate and i can see that you're hungry so it's really not that different from what we're doing you and i you know in this justice world yeah of like we have been born maybe in a more privileged home maybe not but where, however we got to where we are, God has put a lot on our plates and mm. it makes sense that we just share. It really is that simple to you. <laughs> I think it's, it should be simple to everyone. In New York especially, there are a lot of really, really type A people and really competent, work super hard. 
and no one in my life work as hard as those women I see in the garment sector in Haiti. Yeah. They walk from their homes mm. at 5 a.m. They work their butt off for hours. And then those that got the chance to get accepted into our high school completion program, then stay for another two hours just so they can finish high school. Wow. And they go home just to start it all over again. And they do it with such joy. And so I don't believe in the whole notion of like, I deserve this right. because I worked so hard for it. Right. Because even within one generation, you, the difference between you and your mother at 11 years old yeah. was completely different. No matter how hard she was working, she didn't end up on a trading floor or at MIT. Right. Yeah. And and I'm so grateful that she was able to share these stories with me yeah. and passing it on and just leaving, yeah, giving me a perspective of how how blessed I am and wanting to help me turn those into action. So how did you become a Christian? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is the an encouragement to all the Sunday school teachers out there. Okay. Because um, I actually didn't go into a Christian home at all. I think my mom was kind of Buddhist-ish. Okay. My dad was a very nominal Catholic. So where were you born? Where did you grow up? In Hong Kong. Okay. Yeah. So I was born in Hong Kong. Um, very like kind of middle class like my dad worked for the government my my mom again still worked for the factory and i i just happened to have gone to a christian primary school it just so happened it was the closest to our our little apartment and my parents like didn't care and um they taught us you know we had bible classes um, and on Saturdays, we had these, like, I think it's kind of like Sunday school, essentially. We had these, like, little, like, camps that your parents can drop you off, and they would teach you Bible stories. And even though I never, ever went to church when I was in Hong Kong, it really stuck with me. Um, so when I moved to the States at the age of 11, um, completely to a surprise to my parents, they were like, what are you talking about? We don't do this. I was like, can we go to church on Sundays? So you brought your family to church. I brought my parents to church. And what's really funny is, well, they teased me and they were like, well, our daughters love sleeping in. So if she's willing to wake up at 9 a.m. <laughs> on Sunday, this is something interesting. We need to look into this. And, um, Around 16, um, my parents, 16, 17, my parents then started actually learning more about it themselves. And then they became Christians and they got baptized in my wow. late teen years. Um, but, you know, I really, really, really think God's hands has always been in my life. Mm. All the prayers that I prayed, even if I didn't know, you know, exactly why I was praying those really has been with me. Um, in fact, my Chinese name, um, it's Seng Yan, which means an abundance of grace, but it's specifically grace in the Christian sense. Yeah. Like you use that word in the Bible, you use that like Yan Din, like grace wow. and blessings. And um, yeah, so it's, it's, I just am grateful. I, I do believe God has been in my life even before I knew exactly who he was. Yeah. What would you say the experiences that you had growing up that helped shape you, that allowed you to go to South Africa or to go to Haiti or to send the email mm. or to decide to open the restaurant? Oh, that's a great question. Um, yeah, that's a really good question. I think 
maybe because of my parents' upbringing, you know, it's just so different. My dad ran away, you know, well, his parents ran away. He was like one year old, you know, like from China to run to Hong Kong. And then my mom, you know, sharing about her being ran, like ran from the government, like ran from. Yeah, exactly. Like 1949, like in that era. Cultural like, revolution. Exactly. Wow. And then, um, and my mom, you know, my mom was the chosen one, quote unquote, by my grandmother because my grandmother could only pick one of her three children to go with her to Hong Kong. And because my mom was the naughtiest and the least well-behaved, my mom got picked to go to Hong Kong. And my two aunts were left in China to stay with a neighbor. While wow. my mom and my grandma try to make a living in Hong Kong to send back money, and for various reasons too, my um, he got framed. My my grandfather was thrown in jail. Oh it was goodness. just like all sorts of like, unfortunately, probably all too common stories sure. in the in the China Hong Kong days back in the days. So I think I mentioned this early on. Of like, I've always been grateful because my my parents have instilled in me of knowing how fortunate you are yeah. knowing how blessed you are um and they also has always kind of helped me see the importance of helping others um you know my dad was very selfless like even if we weren't quote-unquote generous like financially uh so i would used to go to like the 6 a.m math classes every day in high school <laughs> <laughs> called early bird and my besties parents were working working class always have to go work in a chinese restaurant in fact she herself worked at a chinese restaurant every wow. saturday and my dad feeling like we were the most fortunate of the bunch he would volunteer and drive all the kids to go to math class 5 30 every morning wow. even if that meant he had to get up so much earlier than everyone else and he would grab us drive around the neighborhood and take us to go to math for you, you're seeing the example of sacrifice and passion from all your parents and, you know, ancestors and yeah. grandparents. And and it's actually more than my parents. Um, I, I do appreciate, I think, the community aspect of our culture. There is just so much about, like, helping each other mm. out and being family. So the reason we were able to move to the States was because my godmother, who has now, who has since passed away... But she and my mom were besties when they were 11 and 13 working in the same clothing factory. Um, Jenny was her, was her name. And we have no family in the States. And we all know how hard it is to get a green card right. and to move here. At that point, we already got rejected by Canada. So we were really kind of desperate of like wanting to find a place we can move to. Uh, knowing that the Chinese takeover was going to happen and all of that. And we didn't know what it would look like. And my godmother, Jenny, um, just sponsored us and helped us get over here. And to do that, she had to uh, help us apply for a visa of um, the visa of people that are like of extraordinary talent. Wow. And thankfully, that included those in the garment sector. So she posted months after months on newspapers in Miami trying to hire for this like quality control person and had to show she couldn't hire anyone that was as good as my mother and then apply for us 
to say she has to be the person I bring on to my clothing factory. And she did that in order to bring your mother over? Yeah, wow, and that's that is how remarkable. we all moved over here. She's just been such a such a light in my life. I remember my mom teaching me like when she speaks to you, Jenny, my aunt, godmother, like speaks to you, you feel like you're the only person in the room. Mm. And I've always held that deep in my heart. And I want people who speak to me to feel that way. Yeah. Even if most people assume like, oh, you must be so busy. Like, you know, you have two day jobs and no, if you ask me for coffee, if I spend time with you, I want you to feel like you're the only person in the room and you're important and things like that, you know? When you reflect on your life, what would you say are some seemingly insignificant decisions that you made at the time that somehow set you on a trajectory that now, looking back, you say, I never would have been here. I'm not sitting in this restaurant had I not made that decision <laughs> 10, 15, 20 years ago. Oh my gosh, these are great questions. You should do this for a living. It's funny, you don't even know how often I say that to my husband. Wow, that's funny. You know, it's something that we share. I think when you really come to see how God has been just orchestrating your life, um, you get to see that more and more. Getting rejected by Canada, thinking that was like the worst thing ever. Mm. Um, then moving here and randomly getting connected to math club which is what really put me on the path of going to MIT even though we were literally a grade F school mm. it was a really really low grade public school with not the best you know graduation rate but we had an incredible super selfless math teacher who while my dad was selflessly driving us through math class right. he was teaching free of charge Every morning. Right, because the teacher has to wake up too. Exactly. And he had done this for years wow. and decades. What and was his name? Mr. Kosky. Um, but another thing I would say is um, staying at my firm. You know, a lot of people think it's crazy to have done the same job for 13 years. And I have to say, of, of course, I've had my moments of almost leaving, uh, whether it be for another bank or really leaving for ministry. Uh, at one point, um, I had an offer in hand to go work full time for a church. And it was really, really, really a hard decision for me. And I was so grateful that the pastor I was gonna go work for was the one that kind of, in a way, stopped me and had me really think. He's mm. like, I know it feels easier to stop sitting in this you know, messiness of uncertainty and just feel like you should just make a decision. But when you don't know yet, you don't know yet. And maybe God hasn't spoken to you mm. yet. And interestingly, it was my Bible study leader, you know, if anybody, someone I've led Bible study with my whole career, I would have thought that say like, you should totally go work for church. You know, you'd be great at it. Right. And he said, I think you will love it but I also think you might have been called to finance and to the training floor, Wow! you know? And, and also that um, I started to realize too, like my heart for the poor can also manifest in so many ways than just, let's say, working for the church. Um, not that to say I wouldn't <laughs> go down that path, you know? That's the fun thing about having worked in the same place for 13 years. Like maybe when I 
retire when right. I hit, you know, But you're certainly not opening 20. up this restaurant if you went to work for the church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that is remarkable. And I think that because the, the decision that helped get you to arrive at this point was actually making a decision to not work for a church, where a lot of people would think that that's just the natural next step or natural godly step to do. Yeah. And, and I really wrestled with that. And then mm. for me... It was a moment where I was sitting in the orphanage in a very, very remote part of Haiti. You have to get a port au prince and drive for 13 hours and then you're up in the mountains. And for some reason, I just had this vision, not vision, but like this like idea of what if, you know, you open up the Wall Street Journal and, and, and you see that like this trading floor, it's actually my mission field. Yeah. This is where I get to do my justice work. This is where I get to grow that network, that platform, that power, mm. quote unquote, to empower other people. That was the beginning. And funny enough, of course, as God would have it, when I finally made the hard decision, you know what, I think I'm gonna stay, even if it's just for one more year, I'm gonna see this through. And that year that I decided to stay was the first time a colleague said, can I bring my daughter to come to Haiti with you? Can I bring my dad? And the rest was history. Yeah. One question that I had when I heard about the idea of the restaurant was the question of why isn't generosity enough for you? Why open up a restaurant? Why uh, invest in in people? Why why isn't just giving the money that it would cost to open this restaurant to just give it away? Yeah. What's the reason behind that? Yeah. Hey. I love that too. So if anyone's listening and they just want to give their money away, please do that. Um, there's no right or wrong answer. I think um, I've been doing that for a while at that point. Uh, kind of like challenging yourself to give away more and more every year, right. capping your own income, really reducing your lifestyle. And I've done all of that and I love it. And really like there's no... no nothing more joyful than getting to live in that way and more freeing too. Um, but I think for me, it comes back to a the job creation piece of I think people need more than just our donations. Mm. And, you know, sometimes people ask me like, oh, how do you know the organizations? How do you choose the organization you decide to hire from? And Dr. Mohammed Yunus, who I deeply admire and actually has become a, a mentor for this place almost, uh, has said, when you see a problem, create a business to solve it. And I think as a mentor at Defy, as a volunteer at Restore, you know, having served at a lot of different ways, whether it be the Father's Heart, and you keep hearing a similar story of like, I work really hard at my resume, I've done the interview training, I've done the job training, and more often than maybe I would like to see is they get to that last stage and people just aren't willing to take that leap of faith. They can't get that job because they do have that background. Um, so I want to be able to help in a holistic way. What if I give financially to some of these places, but also hire their graduates? Mm. So then there is a fortress cycle that keeps going. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm making a statement, you know, sure. uh, I love the idea of... Now more and more people come up to me and say, hey, maybe I can do something like this. Absolutely. And, and I love that. You know, anybody can come to me at any point and just talk about their dream. Right. Um, 
there. Oh, I once upon a time thought about doing this, and、uh, my husband jokes that I'm such an enabler, so you have to be careful if you talk to me. <laughs> I'm gonna talk you into doing it. <laughs> right, right.、Um, but yeah, that's one of the mission of doing this place. What advice would you give to someone who wants to do what you're doing to to create the business to address、yeah. the need? Because there are so many people that want to do that,、yeah. as you mentioned. People say that. I love that. But. But don't for for whatever reason. So, what、mm-hmm. advice would you give someone that's that's thinking about it or wants to do it? Yeah, well, a、um, start small. Maybe learn from our mistake a little bit. <laughs> We definitely took a slightly bigger bite, <laughs> and thankfully, now that it's been you know 15 months and and things are are working well. But there were lots of moments in my building. Period and in the construction period and, and even the first few months of opening that where I was like, oh my word, what did I get myself into? You know,、um, so I would say thankfully because I I did spend a lot of time praying about this before I start, and there were a lot of moments where I really felt like God gave me what I needed, gave me the peace, gave me the encouragement, gave me the coincidences that needed to happen for me to feel like. Hey, he hears me. He sees me. He's in it with me.、Um, that doesn't mean it's gonna be successful, but just knowing that he's he's put me in this you know interesting project that I didn't one day randomly dream of, because that w- then I would be crazy. Yeah.、Um, so having those moments that you can look back and say, "This is why I'm doing it." Always knowing your why. There's a small number of people that can sign a 15-year lease for a restaurant <laughs> in the middle of Times Square. But for the rest of us, what can we do? We're inspired by hearing your story, and we want to take a step.、Hmm. What would you say that we could do? There are there's so much to do. Nothing is too small, and and again. When I started my journey,、um, I was just volunteering as a mentor in the Bronx. You know, I was、mm. like 21, 22 years old, and that's all I did. I committed to one girl's life, and she was my gal, and that's it. It was me and Naya, and she was 14, and and now you know, getting to see her as the grown woman that she is, being the first woman to have graduated from college in her, in her entire family,、wow. having this incredible job. Um, I guess all that to say, start small.、Yeah. You know,、um, Anti Wright has a great book on like why Christian characters matter, and it just really talk about this idea of like when that big decision comes, there's nothing unified within yourself that you didn't already put in there. So it's a daily little decision of like, I choose to be generous, I choose to be kind, I choose to serve.、Um, that would lead to that big step.、Um, One thing I do want to, because I'm not asking for myself,、um, I do want to say, I get a lot of people asking,、um, how can I help if I don't want to just give money? I get that a lot, and for some reason, I feel like it's almost given giving money a bad name in some way.、Um, so I think I would. Bring that back and say, it is honestly because we're not, we're not trained to fight. Just we're not trained to fight, you know, slavery. 
in a different part of the world. Right. We are not all lawyers. We're not trained to work with the FBI to take down, you know, right. this like um, brothel. I do feel like even if it's small, do give financially and do volunteer. Yeah. It's not, oh, I'd rather volunteer or I'd rather give. My sweet spot, at least for me personally, has really been the Venn diagram of where I've been able to give financially, emotionally, and volunteer. Mm. That middle section is when I'm like, God had me here. This yeah. is what I'm made to do. So don't underestimate the amount you can give. Don't underestimate the hours you can serve. Sure. We all have our season. Maybe you're a banker right now and you can only give money. That's okay. Maybe you're a student right now and you can only give time. That's awesome. Give what you can give. Yeah. Start small, give what you can give, and go to 5 a.m. math class. <laughs> <laughs> April's actions are reactions. She talks about gratitude. She talks about all the ways people have made sacrifices for her, her math teacher, her godmother, her parents. And now she's making sacrifices for others to give them a hand up, not a hand out. And she works hard, she works really hard, but she is driven not just to make money, but to make a difference. If you'd like to find out more about P.S. Kitchen, you can go to ps-kitchen.com. And if you'd like to eat there, they're located at 246 West 48th Street, right around the corner from 48th and 8th in Midtown. Please thank your waitstaff and tip generously. If you do make your way there, let me know what you think of it. Shoot me a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at The Pursuit Cast. Thanks for listening to The Pursuit. This week, would you share your favorite episode of The Pursuit on Facebook and tell your friends what you liked about it? That would mean a lot. Thank you. As we go, remember, you may not know where your journey ends, but you can find God all along the path. What advice would you give to someone who wants to do what you're doing? What advice do you give the, to those people? Doing what I'm doing, like having two jobs or starting a restaurant? <laughs> no, that's crazy. No. 